Hey everyone, it's Amber Love, and welcome to the year-end wrap-up at Vodka O'Clock. Joining me today, we're going to actually have several special guests, and first up is Dennis Tafoya, who's been one of my Twitter friends, like, forever, and we finally, like, run into each other in Philadelphia now and again. So, hey, welcome to the show, finally. Thanks very much, Amber. It's really cool to be here. So, um... I know you because of this sort of unofficial Algonquin roundtable that we've got down there in, in Philly with all of the, the writers and all the, the noir people, the fans and stuff. So uh, you are here. We're going to talk about your favorite books and your favorite movies and music and another things that come up. And it should be uh, pretty interesting because I know that we know some of the same people and some of the same writers, but chances are I have not read any of the books that you're going to bring up. (laughs) Uh, So it'll it'll add to my list. So let's just do let's get a little bit of your background. Where where are you from? What's going on? You know, why are you here? (laughs) Okay, Uh, I'm a Philadelphia area writer. Uh, I currently live in Lambertville, New Jersey, but um, grew up in, uh, born in Philadelphia. Grew up in the suburbs of Philly mostly, and um, uh, I uh, I have been writing uh, crime fiction for uh, Minotaur, and um, which is uh, where our mutual friend uh, Dwayne Swarzynski started. And um, I have two books out: uh, Dope Thief and The Wolves of Fairmount Park. And I have a third coming out, which um, If the Gods Smile on Me will be the beginning of a series. Um, the book's called The Poor Boy's Game, uh, and it's about a woman who is an ex-fighter and an ex-federal marshal uh, who ends up having to protect somebody against her own father, who's a career criminal. So uh, the fun of those really is getting to spend time with uh, Philly history. That's the stuff that I really enjoy, Philly culture, um, uh, which is, um, you know, one of the one of the things I really love about the city is the really cool and interesting and unique approach to the arts that we have. Um, yeah. And I know, um, you know, one of the things that I talked to Dwayne about and is about how this the city itself or any environment, depending on what you choose, really becomes such a character in a book. And, you know, we talk about David Goodis a lot because they do the Goodis tour down there. And, um, you know, Philly is. Well, you know, one of the legendary cities of our of our country. So obviously, it's got a lot to go back over when you're when you're doing this. So, what time period are you setting your story? Well, it's today. Um, it takes okay. place now. Um, I played around a little bit with some of the history stuff. The the book, um, the kind of fictional departure was for the roofers union scandals, which um, not too many folks remembers and remember anymore. But back in the um, in the mid '80s, um, there was a family um, that dominated uh, roofers uh, union local 3032, who were linked up with the Scarfo mob. And, um, you know, there were a lot of investigations and uh, judges were investigated at the time. It was, a, it, was a, it was a big crime story in the context of a larger crime story, which was the, the Scarfo mob and the sort of dissolution of the old uh, Philly mob. But I sort of kind of updated that a bit and brought it you know, forward into the present day. Um, but uh, and then um, one of the things, too, that I, I really enjoyed playing with um, were a couple of interesting bits of Philly culture, the um, the Toynbee tiles. And I don't know if you know are familiar with the Toynbee tiles in Philly. No, I don't know what that is. Uh, it's, like, it's a really cool thing. It started in Philadelphia, went all over the world. And it was um, these odd uh, tiles that were set into streets all over the city. 
and then showed up in uh, New York and Chicago and other cities, eventually down in South America. And there was a fantastic documentary that came out um, a couple of years ago uh, called Resurrect Dead, which is from the um, uh, you know, frequently quoted, uh, frequently uh, used passage in these tiles, which are all, um, they use, almost all of them say, Resurrect Dead on Planet Jupiter, a Toynbee idea which um, references this guy, Toynbee, and this idea that, uh, a physicist named Toynbee, and the idea that eventually everybody who had ever been alive on Earth would be resurrected on the planet Jupiter. It's this crazy story, but the documentary is incredible. It's kind of beautiful. And these guys who are doing it, I think, solved the mystery of who was doing these tiles. Um, so that was something that was really stuck in my head, and I, I make references to that. And, it, and then also Zoe Strauss. Um, Zoe Strauss is a Philly photographer that I really love. Uh, her work um, appeared uh, for a year on billboards all over Philadelphia, um, and then uh, she kind of, you know, kind of blew up as an artist and um, uh, had a, a showing of her work at the Philadelphia Museum of Art, and is actually right now at the um, International Center for Photography in New York City. Um, so those are cool things that. You know, not just the sort of dark history of Philadelphia and the criminal history of Philadelphia, but that are neat things about the city um, that I, I really love to, to reference when I'm writing. That's so cool. Um, I know that uh, one of the things that happens, well, at least when I'm writing, is I get so stuck in the research that I I, oh, yes. I, I procrastinate <laughs> the writing part. <laughs> And it's like, well, no, I really, really need to look up what the furniture looks like from, you know, 1876, because I need to see what shape the teacups were. No, you really don't. Yeah, it's absolutely true. It's so much more. Research is so much fun. And I mean, I really do think, um, you know, I, I, I do a ton of research and it's kind of funny because you're, you know, in a sense, there's not that much to know about the things that I'm. I'm playing with, you know, it's, it's contemporary Philadelphia. Um, you know, if you, if you live in the world, you know, probably enough about crime to write the kind of books that I write. But, um, but I do find all these cool and incredible things, um, when I'm doing research, uh, and I'm always looking for that crazy little detail. And that's usually where I try to make myself stop when I find that one little thing. Um, but one of the things that happened to me when I was working on Poor Boy's Game was I had an idea. I wanted to use boxing. I wanted the woman, the protagonist, to be an ex-fighter and her father to be an ex-fighter. And what I found out, and it's kind of the, one of those weird things where you imagine something and it turns out to be true. It turned out that the guys who were running the roofers union really did recruit guys out of the boxing gyms in Philly and turn them into bruisers, turn them into thugs who would, um, you know, beat people for, uh, you know, for working without cards or, got, you know, guys for contractors who were trying to get over and not use union help. So, that, wow, that's a really cool thing. That was a friend, a friend of mine, Greg Gillespie, who runs Port Richmond Books, um, and uh, Greg had told me about that. It was like, my God, that's such a cool little detail. And that's the kind of stuff that you love to find, but you don't want to just keep going and going and going until the year is gone and you haven't, you know, written what you needed to write. So, Exactly. Port Richmond is a great store, too. Um, it's just you can get really lost in there. Oh, 
Yeah. It's so so much fun. So let's talk about what some of your favorite books that you read and or listened to, because I know you're a big audiobook fan, too. Um, I'm also in the car way too much, so I have a list of audiobooks that I've gone through. Um, so it's uh, surprising me that you are so crazy about horror, because I know that you know, you're a crime guy, and I guess they can bleed into each other pretty well, especially when you get into like supernatural detective stories. But uh, I don't know what uh, precise horror it is that you've latched onto. You know, I, um, I tend to like stuff that exists in the mostly recognizable world that brings some odd element into it. And um, one of the books I read this year that was not a new book um, is the book Come Closer by Sarah Graham. And um, that's a, a story um, that uh, uh, Sarah wrote um, about a woman who um, basically uh, becomes possessed or goes insane. And of course, it's not clear and certainly not clear to anybody around her, which is the case. Um, so it's more of that, uh, not, um, I would say more in the fantasy realm, but more in the sort of straight up urban, recognizable environment, people undergoing a crisis and the crisis happens to be some horrific or demonic element. That's the stuff that I think I, I really love. Um, I also read, um, uh, another book, once again, not new, but a fantastic book, a Kelly Link collection of stories called Stranger Things Happen. Um, and Kelly Link is amazing, uh, amazing writer. I really recommend both Sarah. Uh, Sarah has a number of books uh, recently, um, both the Claire DeWitt series that she's in the middle of now that I think is actually being developed for television, which would be pretty cool. Uh, Sarah worked as a writer on the Southland series, uh, the, okay. the TV show. Cop show? Yeah, exactly, the cop show. And so the same folks – uh, we're, are in development, I believe, on a uh, series based on her Claire DeWitt novels, which are, once again, the sort of um, selling them a little bit short. It's called like psychic detectives. It's uh, you know uh, the main character uh, has psychic gifts that she uses in you know in the detection of crime. Um, but the uh, and then the um, the, Ke the Kelly Link stories are are really all over the map. Some of them are really far out sort of horror. Some of them are just the wonderful kind of. Um, uh, you know, feeling of the uncanny where you don't know exactly what's going on, even in the story, um, uh, all written from the point of view of somebody who's dead or, you know, some traveler lost in this strange land, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but they're all beautifully written, really amazing stories. Um, so there's a kind of some of the older stuff that I read. So some of the stuff from this year um, written by uh, people that they're friends of mine who are amazing writers. Um, Wallace Strobe. And I don't know if you've ever met Wallace. Uh, I haven't met him yet, no, uh, he, but also on the Twitter. So Yeah, yeah, and he's a, he's a great guy, and um, he just had uh, his uh, third book in a series of Krissa Stone novels, and Krissa Stone is a, a woman who is uh, uh, an armed robber who does sort of high-end armed robbery, uh, and the stories are just really fantastic examples of a really tightly wired, um, very realistic, um, you know, uh, you know, crime where um, it's all sort of very stripped down. Um, you don't get a lot of interior monologue. You get, you know, the, the events as they unfold, which is, I find, really affecting because those little cracks that you get where you see her history um, and her relationship to the world. In the latest one, she ends up having to protect um, a, a woman and her child. 
And so you get to see, and largely without going into much detail, you know, the loss in her life of family and, and um, connection. Um, and so it's, you know, really amazing getting great reviews showing up on a lot of the uh, best of the year lists um, and, and just fantastic stuff. Um, and then um, uh, Megan Abbott, who is also a good friend of mine, um, uh, Megan wrote a couple of books, um, uh, Dare Me being her sort of, I think, like a breakout for her. Uh, Dare Me is less um, traditional crime and, you know, sort of opened up this world where it's um, people are describing it as uh, um, uh, Bring It On, the cheerleader story, meets Richard okay. III, because uh, it's sort of the machinations, um, behind the scenes, a darkness of a cheerleading squad, which is really can sound very kind of um, lightweight, but is very dark and she, No, if I'm not mistaken, she tweets about cheerleading a lot. Yes, she does, right? right. Yeah, and that was, once again, it came out of all the cheerleading research she did. I think she made a lot of great friends and um, learned a lot, and, you know, now sort of that's part of her stream, you know, of uh, things that, she, that she'll that she Twitter about. Um, I, I, Megan's a real um, role model for me in terms of her um, social media presence, especially because um, she is always finding the most interesting, cool stuff. And we have a shared um, passion, which is true crime, uh, that we get together and very unhealthily geek out about. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine that happening. I mean, it's, you know, and then the reality has to hit you like, okay, but this really did happen, but it's fascinating, mm. you know. There's so many shows about it too that you know you have to you have to I guess there's there's a little like dehumanization that goes on as uh, to to separate yourselves from the fact that like these were real victims here. Yeah, that's always the time, and it's really interesting, isn't it? It's um um you do and, and uh, one of my friends uh, Hillary um uh, Hillary Davidson is another fantastic crime writer, and Hillary did a, a post um on a blog the other day about that about. Sort of the difficulty I think of, you know, we all write about crime. You want it to be real enough to evoke that sense of consequences, but you want to do it with some empathy and you want to do it with some, you know, uh, humanity, um, because otherwise it's just kind of awful and, uh, um, you know, you feel less for having read it um, rather than something where you can. You know, you know, once again, have a sense of consequences, have a sense that something that you're reading matters, but it's not, um, you know, just cartoonish or, you know, in, in, in the old bad sense, you know, um, uh, that it brings some subtlety and understanding and empathy to the people involved. To me, there's like nothing more fun, um, nothing more demanding than writing about people who are awful in a lot of ways, but to make some claim on your humanity, you know, to um, put those people across as um people that you can recognize and have some connection with. And what I find interesting is how there's um, really no delineation at that point, whether something is a crime story or a horror story, right. because these people, you know, can be truly horrific. And, you know, the things that happened, like those those uh, three women that were kidnapped in Ohio and held in that house for, you know, 12 years. Yes. My God, I, you know, I mean, like the, the things that happened, that man was truly a monster and I was, they were real people. So it's not horror. It's not fiction. It's, you know, it, it was a real thing. But yet it's to me, that's that sort of 
gray area of, you know, where would you shelve this story if you yeah. if you were writing it from a fiction you know, perspective? I thought many times, actually, it's a story I've wanted to write for years about um, a woman who's kidnapped and held for, uh, you know, a period of time um, in, in a way that the kidnapper thinks is permanent, you know, that he's done this before. I just can't bring myself to do it I, I, because I, I'm so um, re- sort of repulsed by victimization of that kind, ongoing, you know, sort of sustained degradation and humiliation. I find that really hard to, um, to stay with. Um, and I'm sure there's a way and somebody smarter than I am uh, can figure out how to do that. And obviously, I think it would be about focusing on the resilience and endless um, uh, in sort of creativity of the people who are victims in that situation. How do you stay a human being? How do you stay um, alive and uh, of value, in a sense, right, um, for somebody like that? And the, the real, um, you know, intelligence you would have to bring, emotional intelligence, to survive that experience for a prolonged period of time, I can't imagine what that takes. Um, And I think that would be probably the way into that story, would be to focus on that, you know, without sensationalizing the horror of it, you know. Uh, Yeah, I think that's an interesting way to approach it. Um, But, uh, yeah, like I said, it's something I think about a lot because, you know, the people who really interest me are people who are really damaged, um, and also, like you say, blurring the line between people who are just folks, you know, and uh, and who have these very uh, sort of dangerous parts to themselves. Um, in writing um, the, uh, the the new novel, I, uh, you know, I wanted to. I knew there was no way I was going to write somebody who was like a straight up hero. I don't understand folks like that. So I knew it was going to be somebody who was very flawed, who had their own difficulties and issues, who came from a family that was incredibly, you know, um, compromised. Uh, and that's my way into all that stuff. It's like once I know what your problem is, I think I can write you, you know. Well, it's interesting because um, in the comics world, a lot of people complain that Superman is boring. Right. Because of that. And yet he is you know, truly the most iconic superhero, I think, of all time. Right. You know, like, like he's that recognizable. Um, and even though he's been written where he's not perfect and, you know, terrible things have happened, but it, we don't think of those things because um, it's not as much of his character right. As, right. as some of the other characters that are out there. Um, but you, you also, you had mentioned Laird Barron. Now tell me about those stories. That you got into. Oh uh, yeah, um, you know, basically, uh, like I said, I kind of uh, ran across him and um, uh, on, you know, listening to an audio book that was a collection of, of um, science fiction and paranormal stories, and um, and so uh, had uh, uh, my youngest daughter, who was also a writer, who um, uh, writes uh, YA urban fantasy, uh, gave me a book called um, "The Beautiful Thing That Awaits Us All," which I'm just a couple stories into, but is pretty fantastic. He also shows up in um, uh, in the um, uh, the collection I just read, which was the uh, basically the best horror of the year, a collection edited by Ellen Datlow, uh, that also contains another a friend of ours, uh, Dwayne Sierzynski, uh, is wrote one of the stories. And um, uh, Lord Baron, Baron rather, is uh, he's a fascinating guy because he plays with um, sort of two streams a lot. One is um, 20th century uh, American. 
uh, Cold War history, espionage and things like that. One of the stories um, centered on the remote viewing program of the CIA, which is a crazy story in and of itself where they got... It is. I love it. I think it's fascinating. Yeah. You know, they tried to put people in a room and see if they could conjure where Soviet subs were and where Soviet missile bases were. Um, it's kind of... Um, you know, one of those one of those areas where um, our tax dollars went really crazy, you know, followed the CIA down some pretty crazy rabbit holes. Um, and then so he takes that stream and then he's got this obvious, very deep knowledge of um, folklore from all over the world going back hundreds of years, uh, thousands of years um, and connecting that, you know, with um, uh, monsters, werewolves, you know, uh, different demons from different cultures and tapping into both of these very interesting strains. So he gets these people who are scientists or spies or uh, doing industrial espionage or whatever it is, and then having them run up against these ancient lurking horrors that are sort of Lovecraftian uh, horrors. So that's kind of a cool space to inhabit uh, and a lot of fun to read. That's awesome. Um, I started to read a horror book. And I had to put it down, and I don't think I can finish it. <laughs> so, because people people know me well, and they you know they uh, they they know that I have very little um, like I just uh, I don't know. But when they enjoy something, they want to share it. Right. I'm I really want to give things a shot. So um, I was I was gifted Joe Hill's Heart Shaped Box, which had oh. been on my Amazon wish list for like. Sure a year and I, I finally took it off when I had, cause I didn't even know what it was about. I just knew everybody was crazy and raving about it. So I'm like, Oh, everybody loves this book. I'm going to put this on my wish list. And then I, when I was told that, no, it was pretty scary. I'm like, Oh, well, I better take this off my list. <laughs> and as soon as I take it off, doesn't I get it. <laughs> so I was a good girl and I, I tried reading it and I got like maybe, maybe 60, 70 pages in. And I'm just like, I can't, I was not sleeping. <laughs> Well, you know, that's, like, it's funny because that's, uh, you know, um, th that's an interesting thing, it, you know, because it means obviously you're in a sense like the perfect audience because it really becomes uh, alive for you. Right. It, you know, it does affect you that way. But of course, obviously, if it's so bad, you can't sleep. That's, yeah. that's not a great situation. Right. Yeah. yeah. So um, but there but there were a couple books that I uh, I did get through and thoroughly enjoyed this year. One is uh, um, another you know mutual friend of ours, Chuck Wendig, who cranks out a book a day, I think, right. um, at this point. Um, anyway, his book, uh, Blue Blazes, was one of my favorites of the year. And um, which is great because it has this sort of um, if you're a fan of like Hellboy and BPRD, it really has that feeling to it. Ah, interesting. Um, because it's, you know, he, well, what's fun is when he takes stuff and he does like set it locally. So like, you know, things will be in New Jersey or New York and, um, you know, but it's always like this underground, you know, place somewhere that, you know, only certain people have the sight to see. And so Blue Blazes is a drug, a street mm -hmm. drug, you know, unless you see the supernatural creatures that you're talking to and they look human all the time. And it lets you see what they really are. So very trippy, um, but uh, but it's a mafia story. It's that's the the heart of it is that it's really about this organized crime story. Uh, it's just that they happen to be different types of creatures involved. And um, then I read uh, Walston Craft by Jordan Stratford, which was a Kickstarter project. Right. And I know Jordan from Twitter as well, and I just found 
when when the Kickstarter came like on my radar, it's about um, Mary Shelley and uh, Ada Lovelace, but reset like the time and reset like their ages a little bit that they would be best friends as girls. Huh. Oh wow, that's wild. Um, so like really fun and all these other people end up making like cameo appearances and stuff in it. And, but just, uh, really good even for young readers because it's just a very adventurous book. You know, these two girls, you know, little girls that started detective agency at a time when girls were not even allowed to, uh, go out of the house without a male companion. Like they couldn't just take a carriage into town without a, you know, a, a man escorting them. So the fact that these two girls were just brazen enough to be like, well, this is what we're doing because we need to figure out who made, who did this crime. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's so uh, really awesome. Yeah. There, there have been a few of those kind of um, historical reimaginings with, uh, you know, people like Edgar Allan Poe and Charles Dickens solving crime in the last few years. And that's it, it, a lot of fun, especially for people who know the time periods really well, or, uh, you know, as a, maybe as a soft introduction to, um, you know, the historical stuff that might be otherwise fairly dry to read, you know. Yeah. And um, so I had just, I had a lot of fun reading that. I'm, I'm a pretty slow reader, so I didn't get through many um, books this year, but I was probably about, about equal with audio books and actually not actually reading novels. But what I found um, interesting when I was going through making my list of the audio books that I listened to my favorite ones were all memoirs by women. Ah, interesting. And um, Aisha Tyler's Self-Inflicted Wounds, Carrie Fisher's Shockaholic, and Jenny Lawson, Let's Pretend This Never Happened, um, <laughs> who's the blog ass. Right, right. hilarious. Um, I follow her Twitter feed, and it's just great. Yeah. So I, it was one of those things where when I went back to see what did I really enjoy the most listening to, it just gave me pleasure uh, during my drives and stuff. It, they were these memoirs by these women. And, um, you know, I don't know if it was maybe because it was sort of like if they had their own podcast for eight hours, that's right. what it would be like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, there's, it's funny because I used to listen to just music. And unfortunately, I think um, uh, listening to the, the um, audio books kind of takes me um, I, I kind of really need to reconnect with that as writing time because I, I kind of write in my head when I'm driving if I'm listening to music. Um, that's a lot harder to do if you're listening to somebody else's words. But That's true. You zone out and you're not paying attention to what they're saying yeah, anyway. Exactly. But, um, uh, yeah, but there, there are also a couple other books I, I just wanted to mention. Um, the um, uh, two, There's a, a writer I love named Tom Drury. Tom wrote a book, um, gosh, it's got to be like uh, 15, 20 years ago now, called um, The End of Vandalism. That was a fantastic book um, that was uh, some of the chapters appear as, as short stories in The New Yorker. And he just wrote a sort of follow-up to that called Pacific that came out this year that has, once again, made some people's best of the year lists. Um, and it's, it's one of these great stories. If you love the movie Fargo, um, where it was a lot of the – humor and uh, fun of Fargo was just in the way people spoke to each other, people in the Northern Plains, a kind of odd way they have expressed themselves very particular. And I think the, hu the, the humor in this and the humanity is very much in that same vein. These are flawed, you know, sort of gently screwed up people. Uh, one of them is a career thief named Tiny Darling. It's his ex-wife and who's married to the local sheriff. And not much happens. It's very sort of small. Um, 
but uh, the way people talk to each other in this sort of odd, um, non sequitury way that people really talk, um, which is something I've always been fascinated by, the fact that when we're talking to each other, it's, it seems rare to me that I'm saying something to you and you are responding fully to that. It's more, you know, I put my weird little bit out there and you put your strange little bit out there, and there, there's sort of like in almost like three or four different conversations going on at once yeah, because we're not always talking to the person we're talking to. We're remembering things or responding to arguments we wish we'd won, stuff like that. And I, I think that's the kind of beauty of writing like Tom Drury's um, is that this weird little, uh, you know, flights of fancy that people get on. Um, but also, like I said, a sort of deep humanity in it where he clearly loves these characters and thinks of them as real people who have a life going on somewhere in this place called Grouse County in the, in the Northern Plains. So, you know, it's the kind of thing I really love. That's cool. Yeah, I I know what you mean, because sometimes dialogue can be tricky, especially if you're dealing with dialects. Like, how much do you do you put in so that it's understandable, right. um, but, you know, but yet authentic at the same yeah. time? I, I think, of, you know, people like um, Cormac McCarthy, who I love, and... Um, if you read his dialogue, it's it's that same kind of thing, I think, where people are, um, um, you, you know, they're not really talking and listening. They're, uh, they're kind of giving you strange little sort of advertisements for themselves, <laughs> you know, putting things in these odd terms that doesn't anybody doesn't other people don't quite get. You know, you think of those great scenes from from the movie. I don't know if you ever saw um, uh, No Country for Old Men. Yeah. Yeah. That whole strange scene. Uh, sequence where uh, Javier Bardem is talking to the guy in the store and what he's really telling them is he's going to flip this coin and if it comes up wrong he's going to kill the guy behind the counter but the guy behind the counter doesn't get that at all because um, you know the the way that this crazy man expresses himself is so hard to understand he does not get the import of the conversation Um, and that's the kind of thing that I like I said I I find that fascinating Um, especially when you're dealing you know in in sort of criminal world that I am spending so much time in well, I don't have bail money for you, so I don't spend too much time in the criminal. <laughs> well, only in you know <clears throat> online, I should say. I was worried that the FBI will begin to uh, draw, take an interest in the sites that I go on all day long. Uh, right? Isn't that a real concern now? Oh man, is it ever? <laughs> I mean, the NSA is in Warcraft, so <laughs> like when I'm searching up firearms, I, I do worry. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, so, any other books before we move on to other like music and movies? Uh, well, yeah, I did want to mention too Joe Sacco's book. Joe Sacco is a fantastic graphic artist uh, and writer. Um, a lot of people know him for a book called Palestine, um, you know, about the Palestinian occupation. Um, uh, but I've got sitting here actually a book called The Great War, which is um, actual actually not a book. Um, in the traditional sense, it is a graphic representation of the first day of the Somme, the Battle of the Somme in World War II. I'm sorry, World War I in 1916, and it's um, 36 panels as one continuous sheet. So instead of you know having a binding, you could actually open the whole thing to be 36 feet wide, and it uh, it's a representation of from kind of behind the scenes the British soldiers approaching the battle to uh, the battlefield itself, to the other sort of side of the battle where you see people taken away in ambulances and uh, buried and all this. And it's just this incredible, um, richly detailed, it's the kind of thing that reminds you of like the, people refer to like the bio tapestry or 
um, you know, other other things of the um, you know, 18th and 19th century, the sort of very detailed battle paintings that people used to do, where they would try and represent everything that was going on on these immense battlefields um, to give you not just, um, you know, the sort of heroic aspect, but kind of tell you what went on. And that's kind of what Joe Sacco is playing with this. It's really kind of cool and fascinating. And it'd be really interesting to see this kind of thing ap- uh, applied to other sort of historical events, you know, or, or stories that you could tell in this way. It's wordless. There's no dialogue in it at all. Um, it's just these incredibly detailed drawings that Joe did um, of this epic event um, rendered as these little tiny scenes uh, on this gigantic tapestry. Wow, that's really cool. I'd never heard of that before. Um, awesome. I will look into that. Uh, do you uh, you ready to talk about some music, maybe? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, sure. I uh, uh, huge fan of uh, a band. There's actually one guy, uh, Phosphorescent. I don't know if you know them. Uh, no, I don't. Uh, uh, there was a song that they did, uh, Wolves, which um, actually showed up in a movie. Um, uh, gosh, I can't remember the name of the movie. It was like, uh, about Wall Street, uh, and so he began to get a little more attention. But um, uh, it's this beautiful music, and um, he has a new uh, a new album out uh, called uh, Muchacho de Lujo, uh, and it's just a beautiful, beautiful kind of um, uh, you know folky influenced, but um, a country influenced, um, very you know particular sound. I think once you hear it, you generally would recognize his music because it all sorts of falls into the same spectrum. He's done some albums that were tributes, like Willie Nelson and things like that as well. Um, and uh, it's got this sort of beautiful, dreamy feel. This song "Wolves," I um, <laughs> my second novel is called "The Wolves of Fairmount Park" because I just wanted to call it "Wolves" because I had his song "Wolves" on a loop while I was writing uh, writing. Oh, I, I definitely have to check this out because I love uh, I love surreal music. No, um, yeah, so it's it's got this wonderful sort of dreamy thing, and I love to write about music. It's kind of a fun challenge because um, obviously you don't want to quote lyrics at length or anything like that, but to get a sense of what's going on. Um, and in basically two of the, my novels, I make reference to this guy's music um, uh, obliquely, you know, um, uh, because I I'm listening to it all the time when I'm writing. So. Um, and, uh, another kind of, you know, what I do a lot is I ask, I solicit writing music suggestions. I'm always fascinated by whether people can listen to music. Do you listen to music when you write? Yeah, I do. In fact, I do the same thing. I'm like, guys, if I'm, I'm writing something set in the late thirties, give me ideas of what to put in my, you know, Pandora. And, you know, I take the suggestions from Twitter and start building, you know, building up a channel just for that. Uh, One of the things like I stumbled on actually, um, in, and commercials are strangely becoming a great source of music. I don't know when that happened, but they actually... No, that's like, true. Commercials and, like, and CW shows. Yeah, like, what is that? Yeah, like stuff you never expected. It's really strange. But, uh, but I, I, there was a, a movie come out, came out that, uh, that came out called The, uh, the Comedian. Um, that, and I didn't see the movie, but the ad had this great thing called The Disintegration Loops by a guy named William Basinski. It's four hours long and it's very repetitive i never listened to the whole four hours but um sections of it blocks of it i'll listen to because it once again sort of hits you in just that right way that i need to be that strange state um to uh you know to sort of put across what i want to put across when i'm writing um and that to me is really important and i I have a lot of friends who 
clearly inhabit that same bizarre space because I don't know that a hundred people know that this, this disintegration loops exist, but like ten of my writer friends do because they, you know, they're all looking for that strange, depressing, odd, you know, um, repetitive ambient sound. You know, I have to look that up. Awesome, I, I do because I, I like uh, trance music. Mm. Very much so. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, anything that's sort of like I said, sort of ambient. Um, you know, sort of evocative rather than, yeah. you know, um, going somewhere necessarily, just kind of strange harmonies and sounds. And um, I listened to a fair amount of um, uh, Johan Johansson, um, who, if people know it at all, um, it's, he did a song called, um, uh, which actually you had quoted the lyrics the other day, um, that Dorothy Parker poem, I believe. Yeah. Right. Well, that he turned that into a song, which was, um, used in the ads for the movie Battle L.A. and became um, kind of a little cult hit based on that. It's got this very strange electronic sound, and it's just the lyrics, just the words of that poem repeated over and over again. Um, that is so cool. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting and weird. And if you like, you know, really odd stuff, you might like it. Awesome. I know that, um, let's see, some of the weird stuff that I've discovered is um, is less weird, but like I'll I'll – uh, I just like, you know, I'll make a playlist or whatever. On, like I said, on Slack or Pandora, I'll just, you know, pick by genre. So oh. I don't know the band, yep. you know, and I'm not necessarily paying attention to them. But, um, you know, like someone came dressed as, as the, I guess, perform, I don't know, DJ, if you will, Dead Mouse to yeah. one of our charity events. So I was like, oh, well, what's Dead Mouse? Okay, I'll go look this up. And it's, you know, that sort of Daft Punk right. type yeah. type stuff. So I was so just like going through samples of that one day and, uh, you know, just discovering neat things. And I went through iTunes and I'm like, I have never heard of these. Like, I don't know the names at all. Right. And and I just like waste a couple of hours going through and like listening to the samples. Uh, yeah, no, that's it, it's always tough to find um, good new music. One of the things that really bugged me about the latest iteration of iTunes was it was really easy if you clicked on something in your own playlist to see recommendations for stuff that was like that music, which was a way I bought a lot of music. And they took that feature out. I'm not entirely clear why, uh, because I would think they would have sold a fair amount of music, uh, you know, doing that. Uh, but yeah, I find it the same thing. It's very difficult. That's why I'm always asking friends and people I know will listen to my weird dark end of the spectrum um, you know, what sort of things to, to use, especially for writing. Um, Alexander Sokolov is a, another writer. Um, uh, Alexander's written some great books about writing as well as, um, you know, sort of mysteries and horror. And, um, you know, she's also been a good source for cool, different music. Well, what I've enjoyed as far as like singer songwriter stuff is um, uh, really because I was already into Florence and the Machine. And then I started to get into Lana Del Rey <laughs> which is a similar sort of feeling to it, but very different subject matter. Uh-huh. And then um, I was basically just uh, trying to find some like rockabilly stuff. And I came across Beth Hart oh. and it just like, she, just like I looked at pictures of her and she reminded me of Krista Faust. So I'm like, Oh my God, there's this like smoking hot woman with this, you know, this voice, you know, this, um, like, you know, very, that sort of like Husky lounge voice. Yep, yep. And uh, so I really started to enjoy that. I was like, oh, I never would have heard of this before. If I, you know, I just like you said, I type in something. Amazon is OK with this, too. Like if you type in something that, you know, it gives you recommendations. Right. Absolutely. So, you can, yeah. so that's so, how I think about the Internet generally, I think, is um, 
um, while the whole universe is open to you, it's not curated for you much. So in trying to find good, you know, solid recommendations um, for somebody who, you know, like a, in the way an old reliable reviewer would have once, um, now you're sort of left to your own devices. And other than that, that mechanism you're talking about, if you liked this, you might like that. You know, it's, yeah. it can be really tough to find that stuff. You know it's out there, but, um, you know, but you're struggling to connect with the things that you will really enjoy. Right. So, yeah, I know those those algorithms are there, and even Netflix has it. I mean, you build a, a profile, right? essentially, when you're, when you're signing up. Um, but speaking of Netflix, right. did you catch any really good movies this year? Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, there was some – one of the things I was really looking forward to this year was the movie Mud, um, uh, which was Matthew McConaughey and Sam Shepard um, – and these two little kids uh, who are fantastic. Um, Mud is a story of this, uh, these little guys who live on the Mississippi River, and uh, they stumble on an escaped convict hiding in the woods um, who is trying to reconnect with the love of his life, played by Reese, Reese Witherspoon. And um, uh, Jeff Nichols is fantastic. He did a, a movie last year called um, Take Shelter, which is one of my all-time favorite movies, uh, and also has fantastic music, by the way. Uh, good recommendation there. I think if you, you know, if you um, once again like music, it's sort of interesting, dark end of the spectrum. Uh, Take Shelter was Michael Shannon, um, who became started to have dreams and became obsessed with the, the fact that some giant storm or apocalypse was coming that he had to protect his family against. Just an incredible, beautiful mu- movie. And Mud was this kind of, you know, felt almost like um, uh, Huck Finn kind of space that it inhabited. But he has that great. Once again, eye for detail that I love of, uh, you know, the guys who are chasing mud um, are not just, you know, faceless, uh, you know, evil people. Um, They are people who are convinced in the rightness of what they're doing, too. Um, And while the character played by Matthew McConaughey is a very complex character who seems a little crazy and maybe a little dangerous and doesn't always tell the truth. And, um, you know, uh, I'm a sucker for the unreliable narrator. So, uh, that was a, that was a great movie. I really loved. Um, just saw American hustle. I don't know if you've had a chance to see that yet. No, I only just saw the commercial like yesterday. So good. It's so amazing. Um, what I loved about it in addition to the fact that it's just hysterically funny, and kind of harrowing and, 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 you know, and about the, our area, right. takes place in Camden and, and Philly, um, uh, is that it was driven completely by two women, um, uh, Amy Adams and, and Jennifer Lawrence. Jennifer Lawrence is brilliant in it. Yeah. The, I mean, the cast looked incredible, but yeah, her and Bradley Cooper, you know, right. Was it, they were teamed up, uh, right. Weren't they teamed? Yeah. Just great. Just, a like I said, very, very funny, but, um, but the choices that they make, and you can watch them doing it because it feels largely improvised. I don't know if that's the case at all, but it has that great feel like what's going on is naturally occurring to the actors you're watching uh, on the, uh, you know, and it's got it's just hysterically funny and really odd. And also, once again, there's a sense of consequences. You feel for these people uh, in the situation that they get themselves into by trying to con everybody around them. Um, but, uh, yeah, really, if you haven't seen it, it's, it's definitely, I think justly getting praised as one of the best films of the year. Um, uh, also all is lost, um, which, uh, was, um, Robert Redford as a guy, uh, on a boat, he's, you know, clearly like sailing around the world cause it's, he's in the Indian ocean 
And oh, right. Yeah. Okay. I had that very, like, a castaway sort of Yeah. It, uh, just, I, you know, I never liked um, Robert Redford as much as I did in this film. Just amazing. He, it, there's, it's virtually wordless. Somebody told me the script was like 30 pages long. Um, and it's just, he wakes up on this boat, you know, in his sailing ship, his little sailboat, and uh, <clears throat> a giant a container has fallen off uh, a ship and poked a hole in his, uh, in his sailboat. And he's got to try and repair it. And then when it goes down, he's got to get onto a life, a life raft and survive in this, uh, you know, harsh environment that's just beautiful and really compelling. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, let's see. What did I watch this year? I didn't watch much. I've been like anti-movie this year. Um, but something something that I did see that was phenomenal, in my opinion, was the movie Lovelace about uh, Linda Lovelace, the porn oh, actress. Yeah, no, I'm dying to see that. It, it kind of came and went from the theaters really quickly, but it is a fascinating looking story. And excuse me, yeah. a great cast, by the way. Yeah. And um, Amanda Seyfried plays Linda Lovelace. And. Uh, such a heartbreaking story and I loved it. I love the editing and one of my friends on Facebook said that he felt that the way that it was edited was so unnecessary because it, it flashes back. Like you see a scene play out from a certain point of view and then you get to see what really happens. And it's about how the terrible amount of domestic abuse she went through um, to have this very short career in pornography and how her husband like took all of the money, every single penny, like she had nothing and, you know, eventually tries to make a new life and she gets a book, you know, to, but the thought, the thought of going through what she went through and making a book about it and putting it out there. I mean, at that point she's got a new husband and a son and they're going to, you know, what are they going to go through? Because she's released this book about how we you know her life in porn. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's exactly the kind of thing I think is fascinating about that world. Um, I think, of course, um, Boogie Nights, which was uh, kind of a fictional retelling of um, John Holmes' experience. Um, and, uh, uh, and actually kind of toned down in a way. I mean, it seems like a kind of wild fantasy when you see it. But it was actually much less kind of crazy than his actual life was and the things he was connected with. And, and uh, I saw a wonderful, very dark and, and disturbing, but a well-told story on front lines one time uh, about a woman who had um, been in the porn world who ended up, she ended up killing herself. Um, but it had uh, interviews with a lot of the people from that world. And it's um, clearly the sort of personal stakes are so high for people in that world, you really have to either have a sort of bulletproof sense of yourself and why you're doing what you're doing. You're there to make a certain amount of money and get out or um, or because if you're just drifting um, or manipulated, as you know, as Linda Lovelace clearly was into that situation, you know, clearly the personal stakes are horrific. Um, and, you know, people come through that, I think, really damaged and trying to deal with it for a long time afterward. Yeah, it's just and it's such an an incredibly different time because this was set in the 70s. It was about um, when they made the movie Deep Throat. Right. And I mean, what a different time we're in now where, uh, you know, like I've attended Exotica a, a few times and, the you know, being uh, seeing what the cam girls these days go through. It's pretty different because the majority of them, they are in business for themselves and they are running the show. Right. They are in charge. And I think there's only, you know, 
some notable exceptions, like you're saying, where somebody else is pulling the strings and no. you can, it almost shows like those girls on camera don't, they don't seem to be enjoying what they're doing. Yeah. Whereas I, girls doing it of their own free will have a whole different type of, I don't know, outlook. Yeah. I think too, that there was a, you know, historical reality back in the, in the seventies, you were talking about films that had to get distributed, uh, you know, yeah. war tapes and things like that. And, you know, there were a lot of bad guys in that business in those days. The, the mob was all over porn, you know, um, I think they may still be to some degree, I don't know, but it doesn't require distribution thanks to the Internet, once again, the way it used to. So you could be sort of more entrepreneurial about it now than I think you could then. At some point, you needed a fair amount of money to make it all go, and the guys who had that money and would spend it in that way were not good guys. Um, uh, you know, So I, I do think the dynamics were probably very different in those days, and it was more likely that you were being you know, exploited or victimized in some way uh, you know, than the possibility at least exists now. You know. Yeah, so I mean that's a we could we could do a whole show just on that, and maybe we will. Someday. Fascinating, actually. Uh, there was a great uh, David Foster Wallace piece about um, going to the the um, the sort of Academy Awards of porn. Um, that, oh, the like A E N. Yeah, right. Yeah, that that's pretty fascinating as well. Yeah, so that'd be great to, to talk about sometime. Cool. All right, Dennis, thank you so much for your time and you know giving me your your year review and recap. Uh, it was a lot of fun, Ember, and uh, looking forward hopefully to seeing you at the David Goodis event. And um, uh, you know, and anytime uh, you'd like to do this again, it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, well, especially since you've got a book coming out in April, yeah. you said, right? Um, poor, poor Boys Game. So um, we'll definitely have to do that. We'll get you out and, and promote some stuff and. Um, but in the meantime, where can people find you so that uh, uh, they can keep track? Sure. Um, uh, I, you know, go to DennisTofoya.com is my website. And um, uh, I, I don't have any events uh, lined up right now. So I think basically the website and then Facebook, of course. I'm I'll pretty much a uh, friend anybody on Facebook. Um, and uh, you can follow me at uh, uh, Dennis Tafoya on Twitter as well. Great. Um, so this has been part one, guys. Stay tuned. We'll be back shortly with part two of the Vodka O'Clock Year in Review. And welcome back to Vodka O'Clock, everybody. It's Amber Love back with you. And joining me now is Meredith Placco. I'm so excited to have her on the show. It's her first time here. And she does all sorts of very exciting things in pop culture and entertainment. So welcome aboard. Thank you so much for having me, Amber. You know, this is the first time in all the years we've known each other that we've even spoken, I think. I think, yeah, you know, I think we might have run into each other in New Very York. Very briefly, yeah. And I was, it was like all of two minutes. Yeah. So I'm really, thank you so much for having me on. It's, I, I love vodka clock. In fact, I'm about ready to break into my first vodka of the show. Oh, good for you. So. I'm, I'm being good tonight because I, uh, I, I did pretty well last night. Right. So I, uh, I, I had quite a bit last night. I'm just going <laughs> to take it easy. Well, it's, it's post vodka clock for you. It is post vodka clock for me. Um, I gotta get up early in the morning. Aww. Um, so we are doing a year-end roundup. Let me get a little background from you. Why don't you tell everybody who you are and why we know each other and why we're in the same circles? Okay. Well, I do this crazy thing called cosplay, which if you know Amber's work at all, you probably know what cosplay is. Um, and I also tend to write a lot about cosplayers, uh, specifically women cosplayers, and the problems that we face. Uh, being women 
in costumes at conventions. That's right. Yeah. Um, I, I actually started um, out, uh, I've been cosplaying since 1999. I'm old. I was old when I started, and I'm continuing, but I, it's fine, whatever. It just means I get to do sexy superhero characters versus sexy anime characters. Um, and I, I, I briefly, for briefly, for about seven years, went by the handle Anna Aesthetic, uh, but once my um, coworkers found out about my uh, secret identity, uh, I just kind of gave it up because I'm like, oh, whatever. They know what I do. It's not, you know, anything terrible. And they appreciate it. And I love it. And so I'm now Meredith Placco, cosplayer and uh, supporter of women's and cosplayers' rights everywhere on the Internet. Right, because we had big things come up like um, cosplay does not equal consent because that was an issue. And some of the cartoonists, and uh, artists and writers this year have been having a lot of problems. Yeah, I can't wait till we get into that because I've got yeah, I've got some stories. Yeah, all right, let's let's uh, not waste any time. Um, we there's there's always like good stories, of course, coming out of the year. There's always like great charity things to reward and um, favorite cosplayers that we run into here and there, favorite photographers that we get to meet and work with. But, uh, you know, the the harassment issue has been, like, probably one of the top stories to hit comics fandom this year. It really was outrageous. And it's not even just comics, because the sort of global misogyny that goes on in entertainment, like uh, Gina Davis has spoken out about ageism, and um, Jim Hines, uh, the, the author, does hilarious, you know, ways of bringing awareness and enlightenment to the situations that go on in the literary community. Uh, so what do you, what did you have in mind? What did you run across this year? Well, I mean, obviously, you know, one of the, one of the biggest things that, that I was really fortunate to report on um, was 16-bit sirens kind of broke it with uh, Sushi Killer, I believe, um, wrote the piece of Cosplay is Not Consent. And uh, I picked it up and put it on uh, Geeks Are Sexy based on some of my own experiences. But the great thing what 16-bit did was they uh, went around to conventions on the West Coast with a, a little white billboard and, and had girls and men, actually, everyone pose with the cosplay does not equal consent just to start bringing awareness that, you know, as, as costumers, we face this sort of when, when running into fans, uh, they kind of treat us like we're objects and not necessarily when I say like objectifying women, though, that's part of it. It's because we're dressed as these fictional characters. I feel in some people's minds, they can't remove us from that that fiction like you know they think we're they, obviously they're not like a six-year-old who thinks we're actually wonder woman but they they see us in these costumes and they they somehow for whatever reason they forget that we're human beings behind these costumes and people right. stop more like more like an actual prop yeah we're like, like a prop and and it goes from everything where people just kind of be a little weird to just outright vulgarity and physical sexual harassment and we saw this pop up um, at PAX East with the Lara Croft shoot. And uh, one of my favorite people in the world, Megan Marie, uh, blogged extensively about that incident earlier. This that year. was one of the ones that definitely came to my mind, too, because it got so much coverage. Yeah, and, and as well it should. And, and I think I think it's really, you know, as, as terrible these things are that are happening, I'm so happy that it's raising awareness because now conventions like Dragon Con, like Anime Week in Atlanta, here in Atlanta, um, and, and other shows are now taking notice of it. And I mean, yeah, some of them are just kind of putting some like a sexual harassment policy in their guidebooks. But by doing that, it allows them to take stronger action because, you know, they can say, well, we've warned these people. And, you know, while some people, some conventions might just stop at that, like, you know, note on the page, other conventions are taking it the, uh, an extra step further and, and using it to, to really just crack down. And I think 
You know, I think it's also important, though, like, while we have to sit there and say, no, this behavior is wrong, we need to bring awareness to it by not just slapping the hands of the perpetrators, but actually, you know, making people understand why this is a bad behavior. Yeah, I would definitely uh, agree because um, if, well, first of all, everybody's different. Mm -hmm. So there are some men or women um, that are in costume that might be okay with those actions, but that's not a universal, uh, you know, consent. So just be aware of that. And what might be fine for one black cat might not be fine for another black cat, you know? (laughs) Um, I think the character has a lot to do with it. Mm -hmm. I I think people think that they can get away with more if it's an Emma Frost or a black cat or a cat woman. Um, I think, I don't think people, I don't know, because that's, that's been my experience anyway, that like Catwoman gets sluttier comments than Wonder Woman. Yeah. But that's just my own experience. But then I think about it and I don't, I don't want to, to name anyone just because I don't want to like perpetuate a problem, but I, I know a Wonder Woman that there is a Flickr account dedicated to her butt and there's people who yeah. go and take pictures of this poor girl's butt. And it's like, yeah, and she, I've seen that for for Ms. Marvel. There's a Ms. Marvel butt gallery. Yeah, and too. I'm just like, guys, why do you think this is OK? I mean, but of course, it's probably no different than the guy that walks around Walmart with like the, you know, flash cam on his cane, taking up skirt shots. I mean, there's always going to be creeper creepers out there. But for some reason, I kind of worry that our subculture uh, attracts some of the extra creepy guys. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but like you said, there are conventions that are, that are finally taking the steps that hadn't been discussed before. And that's a really good thing. I know like the Mary Sue website was keeping a list and every once in a while they'll, they'll update with conventions that have, uh, you know, either added policies or have new announcements, anything like that. Yeah, And and, I, and it's, it's helpful. I think in turn, we need to have a list of conventions that uh, contribute to the problem. Um, I, I was not there, but I heard about a con out on the West Coast um, in the Northwest area that there was a DJ that they hired who had a, yeah. a prior, um, like, he has a sex, sex offender, offender record. Yeah, it was a, a registered yeah. sex offender. And there was yeah. some, you know, incidents of impropriety going on there with an underage girl. And I'm like, it's, you guys got to be aware. And people have contacted the convention ahead of time and they did nothing. And I'm like, no, they they said that it's a police matter and they keep hiring the guy year after year as the DJ. Yeah. I'm and like, just say it's a police matter. I'm like, well, then you're a shitty con. Yeah, like you're you're kind of a shitty person. And I hope, you know, people stop going to your convention. Yeah, I believe it was Aki Khan. Yeah. A.K.I. Khan. Yeah. And because uh, I remember when a friend of mine uh, told me about that, I was just livid. I'm like this. No, I'm like, how deep does this go? And then I started finding other people's YouTube videos about the accusations and stuff and I'm you start digging into it and it just kept going and like because criminal records are public record you could just look up this guy's information and see all the charges against Mm -hmm. him and see what he had and they weren't just charges like he did time yeah he was in jail like he yeah, yeah it's I just don't understand how people think that they can just dismiss it but I guess it's part of that like out of sight out of mind mentality um, yeah, yeah, which which unfortunately, you know, it's it's funny that we're talking about this because I'm actually about ready to publish one of my I, I don't I want to say it's probably one of my best pieces I've ever written um, kind of on a similar matter that deals with the whole, um, you know, 
not just cosplay is not consent, but just the way that a lot of, you know, us in the subculture and in general, how we will turn our blinders on when it suits us um, in, in terms of, you know, people we respect. And I actually uh, cite the, you know, we're going to have to talk about it, the, the Tess Fowler and Brian Wood incident. Yeah, exactly. Um, because because some you get to the point where it's like, oh, but I'm a really big fan of his work. Yeah. Do I, you know, what do I do? It is. It's really hard. And, you know, when when um, when I was first, my friends first alerted me to the, the Tess and Wood thing. Some everyone knows, like, DMZ is my jam. I mean, it's about a it's about a fucking reporter. I mean, how could I not like love that story? Uh, reporter in New York City, no less um, in wartime. But, you know, and at first I was I was super dismissive. I'm like, this happened eight years ago. Like, why is she bringing up now? What does she hope to gain? And I was like that for a good month and a half. And, you know, I'm sitting there Christmas morning, like, ironing something and it hits me. And I started thinking about something that happened to me last year and, and something, you know, that had happened to me three years ago. And I was like, wow, I'm like, I just did to test what a group of people did to me when I came out about my abuse. And I, I, I dismissed her because I didn't want to believe something about a person. Now, and I, I you know, on, on the Brian Wood situation, he's come out, he's apologized. There is something to be said that that behavior has happened in the past. So I, I want to believe that he can change. And it's not like he, you know, forcibly held down a girl and, and, and you know, did anything terrible to her. I mean, he just kind of acted like a, you know, a bro, a D-bag, you know, he, Right, you know, he exactly. just kind of pushed a girl, pushed a couple of girls into awkward situations. But as far as I know, he never crossed like a physical line. Um, and you know, again, maybe this is me still trying to justify it, but I, I do do like to believe that you know certain people have the capacity to change in the right mindset. Um, but yeah, I totally did to to test in those women what I'd been done to me, and I was just like, wow, that's really shitty of me, and it, it caused me to really reevaluate the whole situation. That's great. So that piece is going to go up on Geeks Are Sexy. Uh, actually, I'm I'm uh, in my I, I have a, a, a an agent for my reporting, and uh, she's actually shopping it at a a, a magazine. So okay. there's a I, so we'll keep our yeah, eye. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll announce it when I can. But there's a, there's two major publications um, that it might actually go up in. So I'm really excited because it'll be my first like real printed piece too of volume. So okay. Great. I know that um, one of the more recent issues that came up was um, on a cartoonist panel uh, that was supposed to be about diversity <laughs> and embracing our differences. And it was um, talking about LGBT themes in comics. And Mari Naomi, I believe her name is, underwent some ridiculous douche bro comments from a fellow panelist. Oh, yeah. Like, I heard about that. I, I, I only recently heard about this. And uh, I think it was on the beat. I think it was it was might have been comics. Yeah. Or, and was, it, was this is this not my favorite DC Comics uh, guy of yes. all time? Scott Lobdell. Oh, Scott, you, you keep yeah. please, keep putting your foot in the mouth because you, I make my money writing off of your dumb shit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, let's face it. You know, any anybody who's known for writing Starfire, yeah. uh, you know, as such a vapid sex object he was the panelist chosen to talk about, you know, bisexuality or something in comics. Like, are you, are you serious? I'm like, but no, I mean, write, writing about a, a woman character having sex with whatever she wants because she can't remember afterwards. That doesn't make you an expert on bisexuality. That just makes you a terrible dude, bro, who fantasizes yeah. about women banging each other. Yeah. So, I mean, I it, just, the sheer fact that he was on the panel and then the stupid comments that he made and he issued an apology, but it came, Across apparently after the panel, he apologized to the artist's husband, <laughs> not to her. Is she, is she the property of her husband? Is this how we're yes. supposed to treat women? 
Yeah, so it was like, I'm really sorry I put your wife in that position. Like, are you kidding? No. You know, so, yeah. Um, So whatever. Uh, And then at a certain point, an apology was issued and, you know, hey, good for him. But, yeah, uh, but you know, it's it's hard. It's so hard to take some of these apologies sincerely because it's like the pressure's on you. What are you supposed to do if you don't apologize? You look like a, you know, you look like you're even more of the problem. Right. But when it comes to our lives in cosplay, we do have really good positive moments. Like I said, we do, um, there's charity work and then there's fun events and gatherings, get togethers at the, at all the conventions. And, um, so this year I was very grateful that I finally got to do, I, I did a lot less cosplay, mm-hmm. but when I actually did take the time for it I got to do something I never had done before so um, I got to go first of all to Virginia mm-hmm. Comic-Con where I had never been to that show before mm-hmm. and I was tagging along with Jim Kohorik from the book Dead Irons and he got a special effects makeup artist to work on me and another cosplayer so I got to spend three hours in the chair <sighs> getting professional makeup done and it was unbelievable. And then we went and shot on green screen, which I had also never done. Oh my so God. I got like, so I got like three things I had never done before all in one. It's like cosplay bucket list right there. It really was. It was, it was so much fun. And it was such a different kind of photo shoot than what I'm used to. Like if I'm, in a studio or outside or something, I'm used to where you crank off like a, a couple hundred yeah. <laughs> pictures, you know, to get a few that you know are going to be usable. This was like every shot had to count and like I kept sticking out my elbow <laughs> or I'd be looking or I'd be blinking and, it, you know, it was just one of those things where I just felt like every single time the guy clicked his camera, he had to correct me on something. I'm like, oh my God, the 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 guy that I was working with, who was the other costumer, I, I'm like, he must just think I'm an idiot. Like, I take pictures all the time, and I'm getting corrected on every single shot here. Uh, it's just such a different environment, because I had, I had that happen to me. I had my bucket list cosplay photographer moment this year, too, and I was like, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. Oh, my God, I'm fucking everything up. So who did you get to work with? Well, I went out to San Diego Comic-Con a week early and had the chance to shoot with Filipino photographer Jay Tablante. Okay. Um, who, if you guys aren't familiar with his work, Google Jay Tablante, but he's done some of the best yeah. Marvel characters ever. Like, Plus, you know Pat Wake. Yeah, I know Pat. That's how I got in. Let's just be honest. I mean... So, like, you very... Pat already shoots, like, everything. Yeah. But, yeah, but Pat Pat helped me get in, and I got to, I got to work with um, Vampy Linda Lee, who is, like, my cosplay darling. I was so intimidated and so nervous working with her because she's just been kind of my idol for so many years. And she was the sweetest thing, and I'm really excited. Like, you know, we've, we, we bonded over, you know, our experience, and I also got to meet um, Hikaru Jan, who's a, another great West Coaster. And um, it was just so fun getting to, like, you know, work with girls who are, are used to kind of working with more professional photographers. And, you know, having that experience of a day of like, wow, this is what a real model feels like. And um, and it was awesome when we shot like my Psylocke and Tomb Raider, Lara Croft and uh, Emma Frost. And, you know, Jay, Jay has like this team back at, in the Philippines that like edits these photos like they're super like you know, polished. And so like only my Lara Croft has come out, but uh, I, I was going to say the Lara Croft looked like, I know they did as much as they could to match it to the video. Yeah. Game. I was like shocked. And I was like, and I've seen a lot of, and like, like I'm really fortunate that I get to see kind of the before and, and how, what he corrects. And it's like, in terms of like 
body modification correcting, Jay doesn't do a whole lot of that because he he gets his lights set up and so much of the, the sculpting and the toning is done just with his physical lights. Like, you know, I, I thought I was like, man, like you photoshopped the hell and he, and he showed me the original photo. I was like, no, this is all just in lighting. So like, he's like, yeah, I tucked a little here and lifted a little there, but nothing minor, nothing I wouldn't have done myself. So I was just like, that was also something that was really nice because I'm like, wow, this is how this person sees me. Um yeah, that's really great because, I mean, I know that it just made the rounds about how, uh, like, Jennifer Lawrence's cover on one of the magazines was just, you know, so over-photoshopped. And it's like, people, it's not just her. Yeah. This is every magazine everywhere. Yeah, it, it really <laughs> is. And it's like, and, and like, and I will say, you know, looking at some of the before and after stuff that I've been able to see, you know, a lot of it really is just he, his lighting is, you know, when you're in a controlled studio setting and you've got access to four or five lights, that makes a difference on a person. Like it really does. Um, yeah, I think so. So, yeah, so that was, that was my, my happy experience. And that's also my, uh, my photographer shout out of the year. <laughs> that's fantastic. Um, you know, but thinking about some of the, the charity work that we do, because I help organize superhero weekend yeah. over here in New Jersey. And one of my favorite charity moments this year was uh, well always always whenever I work with the 501st mm-hmm. because I'm not part of them but whenever I get to hang out with those guys I, I just worship them but uh singer Sarah Donner came over to the shop and she is just delightful Aww. she is a nerd singer <laughs> from New York and she also fosters kittens and finds home for yes. them so I'm like, this woman is just completely remarkable. And, I, you know, again, people got me hooked up with her through through Twitter nice. to introduce me to her work. So that was just like um, a nice, memorable charity moment for, for the year, because not only was it about Superhero Weekend, but something very specific about it that made it special this year. Yeah, I um, I actually have to say my charity moment was actually really selfish. Um, I found myself in a position uh, where one of my cats um, had a collapsed lung and uh, was really not doing well, and he needed about three grand uh, in surgery to help him live. And I mean, he's an older cat; he's twelve. Um, and I was in between. I, I'm a freelancer. I'm a freelance news producer. And some months I'm like making it rain, and some months it just was ex- exceptionally dry at the beginning of summer. And uh, I had some friends who convinced me to run a GoFundMe which I've never asked for money in my entire life. And people came, people I've never known came and donated far and wide for this, this derpy cat. And uh, he's sitting here. If you hear weird noises, it's because Angel's sitting here with me. And I just want to say like, you know, anyone who listened to this and donated and helped Angel's fund this year, like, thank you guys. You, you know, you made my year because I love my cat. Oh, I'm crying. I love my cat so much. I know. Um, I know the feeling. Yeah, yeah. I know. I I sold a bunch of costumes to pay a vet bill. So I know our cats are our babies. So every and you know it's like and anyone who was able to give even just a little bit and and you know maybe not necessarily money but time and to any charity you know that's that's great. And the one thing I was able to do before the year ended uh, around Christmas, I had a couple had a couple hundred extra, and I went to my local pet rescue and I, I gave the I gave three hundred to um, them and I said the next three people who adopt cats tell them it, it someone already paid for it. And uh, that's fantastic. Yeah. And I was hoping that because doing that, the people would still donate the adoption fee. And two of the three people did donate the adoption fee um, back into the charity. So that made me really happy. So I'm glad I was able to give back a little bit. Um, 
Yeah, I just love those heartwarming ones. I know uh, our costume friend, uh, Han Pan. Oh, yeah, I love Han Pan. Han is just did the same thing. She just went through like her own little fundraiser because her cat was having so many medical issues as well. And she was calculating out like she's cooking uh, his own food, like cooking and going through like all this organic process to make like she. Well, first of all, she's in the kitchen all the time. So she was like working out the very precise recipes and stuff and like really doing a ton of research on food in order to get something that the cat would be able to eat and digest properly and stuff. And she was calculating like it's a hundred dollars a week or something in in people food to prepare for the cat, you know, what we do for our animals. Yeah. So it's, it's crazy stuff, but she, you know, she runs an Etsy shop mm-hmm. too in order to, to try and pay those vet bills. Um, well, let's uh, talk about uh publishers and bloggers they're sort of like sometimes it's the same thing but publishers if you want to talk about favorite comics this year what uh what kind of stuff has been turning you on this year man i've been like super indie i guess this year creator oh me too you say creator own um i really yeah. got into saga finally um got that and i'm really excited east of west i think is of, of my my comic of the year is east of west uh, absolutely great story uh, about death and the uh, coming of the apocalypse. And uh, if you like really kind of sci-fi westerns, this is the comic for you. Um, and then other than that, you know, hate to say it, but I'm really enjoying all new X-Men. Brian Wood, you're doing a good job writing an all-woman cast. Keep that up, please. Oh, boy, the irony. I know. Um, oh, yeah, no, uh, X-Men, and Sel- X-Men itself has been phenomenal but i'm an i'm an ex-lady through and through my first comic was an x-men comic and my last comic will probably be an x-men comic right yeah that's just that's that's something that has always been very evident in your fandom yeah. um yeah I've, I've been completely indie as well this year um, i think i read one mainstream dc book and it wasn't even current in the sense that uh that it came out through DC. It was actually a reprint from the UK. So it was out through Titan comics oh. and it was the only Batman Superman book that I read. Yeah. But otherwise I've been really enjoying a lot of indie stuff. Like um, there's a pulp book called Jack Hammer from action lab by Brandon Barrows. And I believe this artist name is Ionic. I think he goes by mm. um, red chambers by Wes Loker. And he had a pretty big team. Chris, Christian Rossi, um, Kefos Armando and Amanda Kent, Imagine Agents by Brian Joins, and again, I don't know how to pronounce this guy's last name, Bakken, I think is what he goes by, um, and just a ton of other things. Lone Ranger, first of all, is always, you know, tops of my list, yeah. along with My Little Pony. I mean, those are more, <laughs> the most mainstream things that I read. Um, some smaller press things um, through Monkey Brain Comics, Amelia Cole and Strange Nation. I've heard really um, good things about that. Yeah, so... Um, you know, shout out to those guys. They they do great great work there. Amelia Cole, I I met the it's a um, let's see DJ Kirkbride. I can't remember Broken Shirt's first name and Adam Nave. Mm-hmm. Again, guys that I you know met on Twitter. So I ran, you know ran into them at Comic Con. And Strange Nation is by Paul Aller and Juan Romero. And Paul's a good friend of mine. So um, I remember you know like I've read Paul's scripts before even seeing the work come out, but he always does really cool stories. And this was, um, this is actually not a surprise 
but I, it, it's like so sci-fi and um, basically like a, taking urban legends, like, you know, Bigfoot stories and stuff like that. Um, and working it that this reporter worked for a tabloid that covered these stories and they actually were true. Oh, that sounds <laughs> awesome. So it's really fun and it's on Comixology. Oh. I think it, I think the third issue just came out. Um, a lot of fun, yeah, a lot of fun things in the indie world. Yeah. Uh, in, in things I never thought I'd ever say, I have a Comixology account. I also have a Kindle account on my iPad. Earlier this year, I was like, never ever going to switch to digital. Blah, 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 blah. I need real books. Oh, my God. I don't have space for books. Oh, my God. It's so much more convenient to keep it on my iPad. Yeah, it really is. Oh, but I don't want to forget to mention Death Sentence, which is actually probably my favorite book of the year. Who does that? Uh, Monty Nero and Mike Dowling, and that's from Titan Comics. And it's about uh, people who get a sexually transmitted disease called the G-plus virus. Mm -hmm. So if you get it, you get special abilities, but you only get six months to live. (laughs) You're going to be my go-to indie girl. Like, you know all the interesting sounding ones. I, I get like the weirdest stuff and, and, you know, and then I just end up loving it. So, and, and a lot of the things with the indie publishers is they're so responsive. When I write to them and just go, hey, I somehow missed the FTP for issue two, mm-hmm. but I'm up to, you know, but I have issues one and three. Can you send me two again? And it's like within minutes, I'll have issue two in my inbox. Um, they're just, you know, I love that. That's like Action Lab, Titan, um, New Paradigm Studios, these, they're just like so responsive. I love, you know, just the interaction that I get from those creators and the publishers as well. Um, but the, but in, in Death Sentence, what's cool is there's like three main characters. There's a chick who's very punk rock sort of style and she's an artist. Mm-hmm. And then there's a comedian who, looks and sounds uh, basically drawn a lot like Russell Brand, Mm -hmm. but um, vulgar, very, very vulgar. And then there's a guy who's like the lead singer of a, of a rock band. And they're the ones who have the virus that we know of. So it's following their story. Interesting. Yeah. And I know that uh, they just landed on somebody else's number one spot for like favorite book of the year too. So death sentence, everybody really is taking off. Um, but I don't know if I could pick a favorite publisher because like I said, it seems like every, every indie publisher came out with something awesome. Yeah. It's like, I, I'm so bad about just, um, just kind of knowing who does what, like you would one, you know, you would think that I would like pay attention, but like, I couldn't even like, I'm I'm blanking on even who did East of West because I I have no memory. I literally have. Yeah. No, I had to make a spreadsheet. (laughs) Because <laughs> I was like, I couldn't, I had to go back and like research who the names were because I couldn't remember. Yeah. Like I should, I, you know, if I wasn't work for 10 hours, I would have, uh, would have done a little bit more research. I do want to say, um, I, one other thing that I got to read this year, uh, thanks to Jay, um, was he brought over some comics from the Philippines. And I read, um, this one called Trace that, uh, that you can get it on Amazon, digital download, translated in English. Uh, and it deals with, um, a bunch of underworld, uh, like bad guys also mixed with like the supernatural. So a lot of the, the stories also deal with like Filipino urban legends and, um, and like their history and like all like the, the bad juju that happens. And the um, main character, Alexandra Trace, you know, is kind of like her whole thing is to kind of stop the underworld crime and also the, like the, 
evil spirits from taking over Manila and the Philippines. And it's a, a really phenomenal uh, couple of books. I've I read two of the trades, and they're they're really great. So, um, and that's is it T R A C E T R E S E trade like trace. Gotcha. Yeah, um, really, really awesome. It uh, first came out in 2005, uh, ended in 2011, uh, 17 issue, like single issues to date. Um, and, and really, really awesome. I was like, it was really nice to kind of look and read, you know, other countries comic books. I mean, I read a lot of French comics. Uh, but, you know, and, and, and obviously Japanese manga I used to read, but, you know, I never knew about the Filipino comic scene. Yeah, I hadn't really specifically heard anybody talk about that because I hear I hear people talk about um, French and Italian mm-hmm. books more often. Yeah, and there's even like one of the things that's even popped up and it popped up, I think, on Huffington Post, but, uh, you know, I also heard from Jay. Um, there's a they have a transgendered uh, superhero who like was like one of the top like 100 hottest super like top 100 hottest women in uh in like philippine maxim or something like that and she she's fictional but it starts off the comic is uh he's like a hairdresser by day but then he can transform into this really awesome wonder woman-esque uh character by night and it's uh zaza like zaza gabor Oh, interesting. Yeah. I hadn't heard of that. Yeah, so I'm just like, I'm like, this is awesome. I'm like, and I want to go, like, next year I want to make a big point to read other, like, countries' comics. That's a good goal. Yeah. I would say that's definitely a good fan fan goal to have. Uh, do you have any favorite blogs that are always you know, things that you must uh, must visit or you find, you know, that you particularly retweet and share a lot of? Yeah, actually, um. I, you know, and it, it's funny, I, I became aware of her blog after she roomed with me at New York or at uh, San Diego Comic-Con. Um, a friend of my roommates, uh, Marlene, she runs a, a blog called I Like Comics Too, and um, okay. she's really awesome. She she does a lot of pro-women uh, blogging. In fact, you know, her a gift set of her got around Tumblr recently about her kind of going off on people uh, being D-bags about cosplayers, um, and she did a panel uh, at um, San Diego Comic-Con, and I, I don't think she, I mean, she may have also done the New York one, but it was uh, the, the people of color in comics, because um, she's, you know, uh, of not white descent, and uh, she's really awesome, and she writes, you know, and, and not everything she writes, though, and that's what I like about her, not everything she writes is charged behind being, you know, not white and uh, being a woman. Uh, she just writes really good stuff. She blogs really good stuff. She's a huge comic book nerd. She did a really awesome Blue Beetle costume, so she's also a cosplayer. Um, and she interned for Marvel, so I just really love, like, just her, her views in uh, general. She tends to just be really awesome, so I'm always reading her stuff. And you can go to ilikecomics2.com or follow her on uh, Tumblr. That's cool. I'm pretty sure I follow her as well. Yeah, um, my my favorite blogs are always so diverse, not necessarily ever having anything to do with comics. Yeah. But uh, Chuck Wendig writes uh, at Terrible Minds. That's his website. Mm-hmm. He's a very prolific author. And um, he always gives amazing writing advice. But every once in a while, he'll also sprinkle in other random things like he likes to talk about cooking and he likes to talk about beers and he likes to talk about raising a toddler (laughs) right now. Um, So uh, Terrible Minds always has uh, incredible advice columns. Mm. Uh, The blog ass is phenomenal because I crack up (laughs) by her stories because I'll, I'll end up sending them, sending them out and going, I swear to God, this is a conversation we would have, you know, because it's always her and her husband bantering back and forth. And she just, you know, it's hilarious. Um, 
comics related stuff though uh joe sergi uh occasionally writes for the legal defense fund which is cbldf.org and he uncovers things that require a vast amount of research but uh, which is why there aren't articles like regularly because so much gets put into these things yeah um but interesting cases about how comics have been condemned through our through our years um charges brought up and comic shops being raided and people going to jail and and stuff like that so um you can always check over at that cbldf website for their blog updates and um and one of my favorites just for the fun of it because i do like uh things that lean towards the pulp and noir mm-hmm. side is topless pulp. Their, their blog is coed topless pulp fiction.wordpress.com. <laughs> and this is a group of folks from New York city that meet because it's legal to be topless in New York city. Um, so they'll meet in central park and they will read topless or they'll be on a rooftop. And, um, you know, and it's interesting because um, go topless day is in August so they're two different, two completely different organizations, but things that cross my path. And I'm like, well, I'm in New Jersey. We're not allowed to be topless here except in designated spots. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, um, so one of the, you know, one of these days I just discovered that there is a clothing optional park somewhere near me. I have no idea where it is, but I found their website. Nice. And it's, so it's seasonal. So maybe in the summer months, yeah. I'll, I'll be able to go partake with other people and go read out, uh, without being encumbered by clothing. Well, uh, yeah, I'm like, I don't think you want to do that in January. I'm like, no. Maybe a little cold. Maybe. I don't know how they do it. I've seen girls that do crazy, either fully nude or bikini shots or whatever in the snow, and it's really cold. I've, I tried last year, and I couldn't do it. Yeah. I was like, no, this is this is too uncomfortable. Well, if, if we're talking non-geek blogs, I do have to give a shout-out to two of my, like, I check every day. Oh, yeah, Korea okay. Indie, which is all about uh, Korean rock, pop, and rap music, and it's all indie labels and indie artists. Uh, so it's stuff that, like, if you even if you're into like the popular K-pop bands, these are the people who totally fly under your radar. It's basically Korean hipster music. Um, I, yes, I'm that hipster that I listen to Korean hipster music. No, it's just it's just a really great uh, blog that uh, not only gives a look into the, the music coming out, but just some of the lifestyle behind the musicians, which I you know love knowing about the people who create this music. Um, and then since I'm a big cook, uh, I discovered uh, the Kitchen Paper dot com, which is a lot of really good like sweets and DIY and she even has a sports section. Uh but she's got this ballin Oreo cookie butter recipe. That's all, all I right. need to say. Oreo cookie butter. It's amazing. Yeah. It's so good. That's yeah. That sounds good. That's my favorites. <laughs> all right. Anything else that you want to share? Um anything that you're looking forward to in the new year perhaps? Well um moving to LA <laughs> That's true. Yeah. You've got a big, big thing, big, big changes it's coming. Big and nerve wracking. And I have to pack up my house and five cats and move across the country. And I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. Um, I'm looking forward to more costumes and conventions. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to getting to know the West Coast scene. I've only gotten to do San Diego and now I, I'll get to do other shows. Um, and I'm excited to kind of see what, uh, what, you know, I hear, I always hear, you know, back in the day, it was always e- like, you know, East Coast versus West Coast rappers. And I hear East Coast versus West Coast cosplayers. So <laughs> I know it's I funny how that happens, how this is going to play out. 
Yeah, I definitely would like to get to new conventions. I want to get to different different conventions, not necessarily more, yeah. but just uh, see some different towns and meet some different people. Um, I will probably do less cosplay because if I'm traveling, I just don't know how people pack. I, I look at like DJ Spider's van that she packs for, for Dragon Con. And not only does she have all of her DJ equipment, but she has all of her costumes in there. And I'm like, I just don't want to deal with that. I, <laughs> if it's more than than two small carry-on size things, yeah, it has to be a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's it is an awful lot. So I, the the least amount that I have to pack, the better. Um, so I'm not sure exactly what's slated for me, but I I do want to see some new things. Yeah. Also, Winter Soldier. That's like all I care about next year. Oh, okay. I'm really excited. I just though okay, so Captain America Winter Soldier in in my household is a favorite. Uh my roommate uh is a huge Bucky fan and through her I've come to love and adore Bucky and I feel like the Winter Soldier movie is going to be one of the best Marvel movies for me to date. I'm not going to say it's the best yeah. one because I don't want to impose my my feelings on other people's, but I'm super excited. Yeah, the the little bit that's been seen looks amazing and guardians looks cool too i guess i know how can anybody you know like not love rocket raccoon i know i was like what they're doing a movie with a talking raccoon what the hell and i'm like oh with a giant gun yes Yes. yeah it's fantastic that'll be great that'll definitely be great all right meredith where can people find you so that they can follow along with your your transition over to the west well you can find me at meredithplaco.com that's m-e-r-e-d-i-t-h-p-l-a-c-k-o on twitter you can read uh my thoughts in 140 characters or less at twitter.com slash m placo and if you want to look at my cosplay stuff uh you can still find that on facebook.com slash anna aesthetic because i'll put you to sleep with how boring my costumes are because i'm not sexy (laughs) no not not true true. I just had, I, I'm sassy. By the way, fair warning: if you follow me anywhere and you interact with me and I sass you, it's it's out of love. It's just out of yeah. love. <laughs> this is fantastic. Well, hopefully we will cross paths. I don't know. I don't know if you head out that way. If you're ever going to come back, this I'll be way. At, at New York for sure next. Okay. Yeah. All right. We will. We'll have to definitely cross paths then. Well, thank All you right. so much for having me. Thanks for coming on board. All right, guys. Stay tuned, and we will do a wrap-up for Vodka Class Year in Review. Okay, everyone, it's Amber Love back with you for the wrap-up of the wrap-up, if you will. Um, I didn't get a chance to cover absolutely everything with my guests, Dennis Tafoya and Meredith Placco. So I just wanted to um, say thank you for listening to the show for the entire year. This makes 42 episodes out in 2013. Um, I wanted to remind you about some of my favorite uh, graphic novels that uh, hit the shelves in 2013. March Book One by, of course, uh, John Lewis with art by Andrew Aiden and Nate Powell. And I've only just started reading it, so I haven't actually finished it yet, but I'm counting it as a 2013 book. And Capote in Kansas was re-released by Oni Press, and that's by Andy Parks with amazing art by Chris Somney. And uh, it's about the Truman Capote story and how he was writing in cold blood, which is something I didn't know anything about. So I went into that book completely cold, and I really enjoyed it. It's a, you know, again, has some... um, 
slightly graphic notions to it because it is about him researching these murders, but um, but nothing like Green River Killer, not quite at that level. So uh, I just think that you should go get that because the reprint has some cool stuff in it, some extras added. And uh, Marbles by Ellen Forney was just absolutely fantastic. It's about uh, dealing with manic depression and bipolar disorder, um, and it, it's just a, a really, really remarkable memoir, so I highly recommend that. I always have since the, the second I put it down. And uh, let's see, so who should be um, on your list for people to keep an eye on for 2014? Definitely Paul Aller, as you heard me telling Meredith Placco about Strange Nation. Um, Paul is a friend of mine, and he's really, really great with... Um, not only getting his own stuff out, but he's a great editor, and he um, does a lot of work for Comics Experience, where we met. So uh, if you're interested in making comics, check out Comics Experience. And um, let's see, you know, I think you're pretty familiar with all, any of the other names I can mention, like Sean Aldridge, Phil Sloan, and Eric Grissom, and uh, Jenny Wood of course. Uh, hopefully we'll have Jenny back on the show for 2014, and Eric Grissom is already slated to come back on the show. So uh, these are names that you will definitely see in my tweets in the future. And um, thank you again for listening. Don't forget, you can follow me on Twitter at Elizabeth Amber. That's where I do spend the most time. And the website is amberunmasked.com. If you have any feedback, uh, you can leave that, I believe, on Stitcher as well. And, of course, on iTunes, they do the ratings thing. I don't know that it really matters. Feel free to just leave your comments on my show notes at amberandmass.com because I read those instantly. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Have a wonderful and safe new year.